0: I'm Michael Cantor, executive producer of American Masters, and this bonus episode of the American Masters podcast was inspired by our film on the great artist Tyrus Wong. He's not incredibly well-known, but I think once you see this film or you hear from our special guest today, you will really appreciate his work. Today we have Robert Kondo and Dais Tsutsumi the filmmakers and artists behind the Oscar-nominated animated short The Dam Keeper. They spoke with Pamela Tom, the filmmaker who created American Masters Tyrus, which premieres this Friday night, September 8th, at 9, 8 central on PBS.
1: For me, Tyrus Swan is an artist who painted poetry, but his presence, his placement in the history of animation, he changed the world.
0: That's director-artist Dice Tsutsumi, one-half of the animation studio Tonko House.
2: One, I think he was definitely a pioneer. um, To be an Asian-American artist working in the 30s, creating works like Bambi, um, is inspiring. But but beyond that, I feel like in him I found a hero.
0: He's the other half of the animation studio Tonko House, director-artist Robert Kondo.
2: You know, so many of, I feel like, inspirations that I have um, sit lodged in your memory as a, as a child. And I, I have to say, the scenes in Bambi are just so vivid to me. I, it's not like it doesn't, it takes no effort um, to think about them and draw them up. Um, and in that way, I think it's a constant inspiration because it's always kind of present on some level. Um, and so in that way, I think, you know, for me, Tyrus is just such a huge, inspiration, I think, you know, I hope that future generations of artists, I hope that work is always kind of studied and
1: looked at because I think it's timeless, yeah. You know, I have watched Bambi when I was a kid, but I don't think I noticed the actual, you know, presence of that background painting until I was in college and art school. And that's when I found out about Tyrus. And artistically, I was just blown away by, um, you know, by the beauty of that background, but also this, you know, Asian American, Asian name, uh, being a huge part of that film, really kind of was encouraging uh, for me uh, in college, you know, trying to make it for myself. I watched Bambi as a little kid, and I just remember very distinctly
2: the forest fire scene. Um, and I think as a kid, that left a huge impression on me. And I think as an adult, as not even as an adult, but as a teenager learning about art and buying books on animated film and starting to see the names behind the art, I think more as like a college art student studying illustration, particularly interested in visual development and art uh, done for animated films is when I first understood, oh, Tyrus Wong was this, incredible Asian-American artist who styled Bambi. I was working on some scenes of my own kind of uh, illustrations that were natural and I just remember always coming back to Bambi and looking into this book of Bambi and looking at the artwork and then seeing these beautiful pastels and then seeing the name Tyrus Wong. I'm like, well, Tyrus Wong, that sounds like an Asian-American name. and And then doing a little more research on him and realizing that he was in fact Asian-American working in, you know, I guess the 30s. In the golden era, I would say, of like Disney animated films, uh, really made my appreciation for his work and what he was doing. One, I think it made so many things click as far as his aesthetic, but it also kind of on another level made me feel so proud, even though I had nothing to do with Tyrus and, you know, I didn't know him, I don't, but it just made me like, I just, this moment of inspiration, I would say, where you just felt like, oh my gosh, here's somebody in the 30s who was Asian-American who found a, a place, not just a place, but actually managed to influence the look of a film that definitely was a huge part of my childhood. Um, also made me think differently about how, what the possibilities were for me. Whether you know the work I was doing, even though I was still a young artist, the fact that there was this possibility that as an Asian-American I could actually go out and create work that potentially min- millions could see, um, was this kind of like moment of like zooming out and being able to see um, see some sort of future possibility for myself um, was really kind of a nice discovery
1: you know for me uh, I didn't even grow up in the States you know I came here for college and I lived ever since uh, in America and uh, I think being a minority uh, and not being able to speak the language as the first language, uh, it's always in the back of my mind that, you know, I have this disadvantage, you know. So knowing somebody like Tyrus who had to overcome um, a social disadvantage um, back in a day where It was not even something that's subtly there in the background, it was very much there in everybody's lives and something that we can't even imagine how it was. um, To work in a very much uh, non-diverse work environment, I appreciate his sort of patience and determination and love for art, you know, I think the only Thing that he was able to get through that is his passion for art and without his contribution to this business as and one of the first Asian Americans to be so successful and recognized uh, we wouldn't be experiencing this diverse industry uh, or workplace mm-hmm. so uh, yes very much his influence is there mm-hmm. everywhere I mean, what's really unique and very encouraging and special about Tyrus for me is that he wasn't necessarily just the uh, Asian American who made a huge contribution to West you know Hollywood films, but also uh, he brought sort of Asian aesthetics to western art, western animation. So as far as I understand, Bambi was the first movie that really brought Eastern kind of approach in terms of painting. The beauty of the absence, you know, intentionally leaving out details, you know, that's a very much uh, traditionally Eastern approach in art. Just because he grew up in the States, he didn't adapt to become a regular American painter. He very much kept his sort of heritage, you know, through his art. And that is, is very encouraging for Asian artists working in the West.
2: Tyrus's work, I think, manages to capture the feeling of a space without having to implicitly describe every part of it. It's like a lot of good writing that I think it implies something that you read between the lines and somehow your spirit or your conscious or your brain fills in everything else. And so in a way, it's so easy to adopt as your own experience walking through a forest, or, you know, so many of his paintings feel like that moment when you come up across a deer, like in a clearing or in the forest, and there's that kind of moment where you're a part of nature. And I feel like that's where Tyrus's work really made me think, you know, I, I, like if I'm thinking about, you know, designing a scene that is in the city, I often think about how, how would Tyrus approach this like in a poetic way without having to draw every window every kind of moment how do you make it feel like this busy city um, with just less and I think that's the part that is so interesting to me you can see the Western kind of training mixed with the Eastern influence um, that kind of amount to something that I think is really elegant um, and beautiful and manages to say so many things with so little Um, and I, I think that in all of the work that I do, and all of the work that we do at Tonko House, that both Dice and I do, that's the highest level, is to be able to say so much with so little. Um, and I think Tyrus was a master at that. Even when, you know, looking at his live action work and the way that he did even production illustrations for sets, um, there's like a freshness to it. It, it feels like, all of his works feels like he sat down and like sneezed it out. And it's just beautiful artwork came out. And you know that that's not the way it is, just having struggled with art and pastels and watercolors. But even those kind of production illustrations that are tighter than I I would say his um, work for Bambi is, there's still like such a freshness to it. Um, and I really feel like it's like it just it's like handwriting to me that just kind of flows from his hands and his kind of being and I, I think that is what Tonko House strives for in our art is that we hope to try to strive for that elegance um, and that clarity of message and feeling that I think a lot of people look at it and agree oh that feels great but I don't think many people can point it and say understand exactly why and I, I can't I don't necessarily think I know why but that sort of feeling is what. You know, especially The Dam Keeper, we really
1: tried hard to say a lot with less. Uh, so, The Dam Keeper has so much of uh, darkness in a part of, it's not like everything is visible. It's not like everything is lit. We very much use darkness as much as light. And I think it's very much uh, how Tyrus painted his art in his paintings. Um, you, know, you know, like you said, it, it's a it's a poetry. and. Uh, I don't, I don't think we achieved that level of poetry, but that's definitely very much what we uh, strive to achieve.
2: In kind of preparing to write our own script, we actually read a lot of different scripts. And live action scripts do read a certain way in comparison to an animation script. And a lot of that, though, is because of the nature of how people view animation and the kind of stories animation should tell. Um, One thing, so that's one thing that I think we've witnessed as far as other people's scripts and and what we've seen out there. But I feel like an animation script is different just because there's so much that relies on the visuals. You know, pantomiming a scene, writing a scene that's pantomimed it's pretty tricky. Like if you imagine the opening scene of <clears throat> WALL-E, there's no words, it's a robot kind of traveling around. Like, I'm actually curious what that looks like on, in script, um, and even for us, The Dam Keeper, the writing we did was very limited, and a lot of it was achieved visually. Uh, much more a la kind of Miyazaki, um, who boards and writes kind of simultaneously.
1: But I do think writing is a huge part of you know, uh, com- developing a story, but it may not be all literal because, you know, like Robert said, animation is such a visual medium. And even storyboarding, even painting, I would think of it as writing. You know, if you're thinking about a story, uh, writing isn't necessarily just putting down beautiful words, you know. Um, I think everything is a part of story development process, you know, visual and literal. Uh, combined
2: yeah, I also think that
1: animation is such a planned process
2: mm-hmm. you can't necessarily show up at an animator's desk and kind of improv dialogue. Mm-hmm. It does have to be planned mm-hmm. out because it's such a tedious process, and there's so many artists involved that on some levels some piece of dialogue has to be written, recorded, put down on paper, and then animated mm-hmm. too so there is a Sort of a little bit of a difference, I think, when it comes to the, the role that a script plays in comparison to live action. Um, we're so limited in our experience of of kind of the world of film um, that for us, our writing process, you know, is very integral to how we create film. Um, there's different attacks, and much like Dice was saying, we can use art, visuals, we can also use um, writing to develop story, and so all of them are pretty integral, but they serve different purposes, I think.
1: Unfortunately, in the American uh, animation industry, uh, there is still a bit of a perception of animation as a genre, as opposed to a medium. We feel like it's changing, and we very much would love to explore uh, different types of stories um, in animation. Um, Nothing wrong with what's being done, but I think there's a a lot of room for for us to explore still in animation story-wise. Yeah, I think internationally, I'm actually curious if
2: there's ever been this many animated films in a single year. It seems like there's a heavy saturation and demand for animation. And a lot of those stories actually fall into a very, I would say into like a genre, like I mm-hmm. said. And I think in that is also huge opportunities to do something different. I don't think we necessarily strive to be different, but we hope to find our own voice in that world. Um, and I think that's where um, Tonko House sits right now. Is just, we're finding our own voice and, and not so much striving to be unique as, as, as we are trying to be sincere, I think. Mm-hmm. I'll say this, I think with the current temperature of the world in terms of politics, in terms of world affairs, I I, I do sense that there's a feeling that people want to escape a little bit, the reality of where we are and turn a cheek and look a different way and be entertained and, and escape, I think. And I think animation is incredible in that way that it could be both things at once. You can escape the reality of where you are, but at the same time the best stories, the best animation actually turns a mirror onto the reality of our world. And um, I think that's where animation you know, can affect our culture. I think in a way that is not always expected. I think people will go to the theaters to watch a family-friendly film. But you know, I hope that animation could also be something that forces us to look at ourselves and look at the reality of our world and our culture and see the effect and the potential effect that we have on the world around us and I think that animation in a way because it's perceived as sort of a kids' medium sometimes or a family-friendly medium, that the audience in a way is going in to be entertained but I think the best films actually entertain while delivering you, um, the audience, something to think about. And so that's where I think the greatest animation has the
0: potential to change the world around us. Tune in this Friday night, September 8th, at 9.8 8 central, for American Masters, Tyrus. After the film, Dice Susumi and Robert Kondo share an excerpt from their animated short, The Dam Keeper. Both programs will be available to stream the following day at pbs.org americanmasters American Masters. And shortly thereafter, on our membership video-on-demand site, Passport, and on PBS OTT apps.
2: The American Masters podcast is produced by Joe Skinner with sound engineering by John Berman, Ed Campbell, and Josh Broom. Original artwork for the American Masters podcast has been designed by Christiana Lombardo. For American Masters, we'd like to give a special thanks to series producer Julie Sachs and supervising producer Junko Sunashima. And I have been your host, Anna Dresden. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher for future episodes. And visit the American Masters website at pbs.org slash American Masters for very cool digital archive gems,
1: past episodes, and more.